Well, today we are completing our study of families in the book of Genesis. I hope you were in Bible class and got to look at this in more detail. But we've been looking at the final story, the story of the family of Jacob and how peace was restored to that family. For our text today, we're going to look at the very end of that story after Jacob had died and the brothers began to question whether or not their brother Joseph had just been nice to them as long as dad was still living. Would he continue to treat them well? That's the question in their minds. So let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the word of God. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then... Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them, and my version says, and spoke kindly to them. If we go back to the original, he spoke shalom to them. May God bless the reading of his word. Right at the beginning of a movie, you can usually pick out which two characters are going to fall in love and get married or live, have, live happily ever after. How is it you can tell that these two people are going to fall madly in love? Well, because at the beginning they can't stand each other, can they? And that's always the case. They hate each other. They're always throwing barbs back and forth. They can't stand to be in each other's presence. Well, as soon as you start seeing that, you think, aha, you know, I know where this is going. It seems like that this theme or motif of conflict being resolved and people living together in love is one of the most frequently repeated themes in all of literature, all of cinema. And why is it that people who are trying to get money out of our pockets keep going back to that story? What is it about that story of people not liking each other and then finding great love together? What is it that draws us to that? Well, that's probably a pretty complicated question with a complicated answer, but I do think that one thing that that story really appeals to us for is because in all of our lives, we have some unresolved conflict, and part of us just yearns for that conflict to finally be over, for there to be peace. And for the person or persons with whom we feel this tension, that if that could just, you know, be restored back to a loving relationship or at least a friendly relationship, what a great relief 
that would be. Well, as we've gone through the book of Genesis, we've kept our eyes on families. There's so much more in the book of Genesis that we have sort of skipped over and not discussed because we've kept our eye on how the families in Genesis were doing. And one thing that we have noticed as we've watched these families is that every family has some kind of conflict in it, doesn't it? Now, on one level, you may find that kind of disturbing. But on another level, don't you find it kind of comforting to know that these first families were dealing with some of the same junk that we tend to deal with in our families as well? And as we've watched them, as they have had these conflicts in their family, we've seen how they've addressed them. And some of the ways that they chose to address the conflicts weren't very good. But then there are times when they seem to be able to get past that conflict, that there is some resolution, and that parties or members of the family or the whole family itself finally is able to come together and to live in peace. Well, this final story in the book of Genesis is probably the best example of that theme. If any family ever set the high water mark, or maybe we should say the low water mark for family conflict, it was the family of Jacob. I mean, look at all that's going on. We've got a man who has 12 sons and a daughter, and he obviously favors one of those sons over the rest of the sons. And he's so obvious about that that the 10 of the brothers, the 10 older brothers, hate that brother. And they disrespect their father. How could you respect a father who treated his sons like that? You could just imagine, if you could just sit down and talk to them at that point in their life, how they would say, you know, I don't understand how a man could do that. We're all his sons. Why can't he treat us all equally? Why does he favor this one son? And then they do. They turn around and take it out on the favored son and despise him because he's the loved little boy. Well, we know where that story goes. We talked about it last week. We know how these ten brothers bound to get back. They, they bound themselves together. I wasn't going to say it that way. And they decided that they would get rid of this younger brother. And their first plan was to kill him, but then finally they settled on the plan of just selling him into slavery. Now, I don't know what kind of tensions you have in your family. I don't know what kind of conflicts you have in your family. But I do know it's not as bad as that. I think we all have to agree that, that this family, you know, you see, how are they going to get themselves out of this kind of mess? With this kind of resentment toward father and this kind of dysfunction among the, the, the sons and having gotten rid of a son by selling him into slavery, which although that wasn't actually killing him, it was sentencing him to a miserable life and an early death. Well, the rest of the story of the family of Jacob asks that question. How can this family come together and live in peace? And you know the story. If you don't, you know, to this afternoon you couldn't spend your time any better. The cowboys aren't playing. Pull out your Bible. 
Read chapters 37 through 50 in Genesis and get the whole story put together. But we know how God did not abandon Joseph in prison or in in slavery, but rather he worked with him. He became the, the chief steward over a very powerful man's house. And then when he was falsely accused of a crime and thrown in prison, he became the chief steward or, or trustee in the prison. He kept rising to the top. And finally, he was called upon to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh, dreams that told Pharaoh that they were going to have seven good years followed by seven terrible years. And they better use the good years to plan for the bad years. And since Joseph was the one who was able to interpret that dream, then he ended up in charge of it all, ended up as the second most powerful man in Egypt, ergo the second most powerful man in the world. When it came time for the brothers who were locked in the famine of Canaan to go to Egypt and buy food, oh, we know the irony of the story, don't we? We know that they went before Joseph, not knowing it was Joseph, but Joseph knew it was them. And that's where the process begins, doesn't it? And we see the games almost and how Joseph seems to almost toy with his brothers. But if we read it carefully, we see that this is the beginning of a process of reconciliation, that every step that is taken moves this family toward peace. And we don't have time to talk about all those steps, but we want to focus in on what two of the brothers did, what two of the brothers did that opened wide the door for conflict within the family to be resolved and this family to live in peace. Now, I can't make any promises to you that if you take one or both of these concepts and go home and apply them immediately, that you're going to have the immediate results that it seemed to happen in this family. Of course, be aware that it took this family almost 30 years to work through their conflict. But I do know that these two things that these two brothers did were godly things to do. And I do know that they worked much better than what they had been trying before. You know, so many times when we find ourselves locked into conflict with other people, whether it be family members or others, we we take an approach. And when that approach doesn't work, what do we tend to do? We try more of that. That that just kind of is born into our sinful nature some way. Uh, That's just a, a concept that we have that once we've decided this is the way I need to address this problem, well, when we try addressing the problem in this way and it doesn't work, well, we think, well, man, I've got to do more of that stuff, you know, because I just haven't done enough of it. And when I do enough of it, then finally all this is going to work out. That's not always the case. That's seldom the case. If the way that you've addressed conflict in your life isn't working, um, I want to suggest maybe you listen to what's going on in Genesis and maybe try some of this and something different, and see if it doesn't at least present the opportunity. And I know that you can't solve all your problems. You can't solve all your family's problems, but you can be more a part of the answer than you are the problem itself. So what is it that these two guys did, and who are they? Well, the first one of the brothers that really opens the door for peace in this family is Judah. 
Now, that's kind of surprising if you know much about the way families were supposed to work back then. The older brother was supposed to be the, the one who was most important, and that would have been Reuben in this case. And Reuben does play an important role in the family. Judah, on the other hand, is brother number four. And you can imagine how his life has been. He's not the oldest, and he's not the darling baby either. Any, got any middle children here? All right, you know, explain to the rest of the folks what that's like, okay? You know, that, that you're just kind of there, aren't you? And, uh, of course, it's the middle children that develop the most well-balanced personalities. Y'all do know that as well, okay? okay. But anyway, you got Judah, and, and he really doesn't see himself necessarily as being someone who's going to play a great role in this family. And, in fact, Judah is sort of on the bad side of things because it was Judah that made the suggestion they sell their little brother into slavery. And then right after that, in chapter 38 of Genesis, we have a story of how Judah messed up his own family with his kids and his daughter-in-law and finally had to eat humble pie in front of everybody and admit that he wasn't the righteous person that he was trying to present himself to be. And then it's Judah, whenever it's time to go back to Egypt the second time, and Jacob is hesitating because now his new favorite boy, Benjamin, since he had lost favorite son Joseph, he didn't decide not to have a favorite. He just found another favorite, which the older 10 brothers just loved that idea, didn't they? Now it's Benjamin's the favorite son, and they're supposed to take him with them. And he's saying, no, I can't, I can't take Benjamin because I lost Joseph, and if I leave Benjamin, I won't have any family left. Whoa. You can't just wash over this and say, you just don't understand my family. Look at this one and what's going on. It's Judah that steps forward and says, look, if Benjamin's that important to you, you can have my life as surety for him. And if I don't bring this boy, this precious little Benji back to you, then you can take my life. And he ends it with rather sassy reply. He says, if you hadn't kept us from going, we could have already been there and back twice. So Judah makes an offer that's kind of wrapped up in a little lip as well. We've still got problems. But whenever the brothers go, and you know the story, if you don't, read it. Benjamin gets in trouble, doesn't he? Joseph kind of lays a trap there. And Benjamin is facing punishment. He must remain in Egypt. And maybe even his life will not be spared. And this throws the brothers into great chaos. And they go back to Joseph, stand before him with baby brother in trouble. And isn't it interesting that some 30 years before this, they had stood in the same place. Now, it wasn't in the royal courts of Egypt. It was out in the fields in Canaan. But here's their opportunity to get rid of their problem. All they have to do is go back home. They don't even have to kill a, a goat and dip a robe in blood, you know? They had to do that last time, didn't they? But they don't even have to do All they got to do is go back home and say, what could we do? Benjamin stole this cup. He got arrested. It's Egypt. It was the second most powerful man in the world said we had to leave him. What could we do? 
But things had changed. Even though they could have easily taken that route, they did something different. And if we look in chapter 44, beginning in verse 14, it is Judah that leads his brothers back to Joseph. Judah goes before him and falls before him and says, let me tell you our story. And in the longest speech in the book of Genesis, which by the way, there's two ways at least you can recognize what's important in the Bible. One is when you start hearing something repeated over and over. We talk about that. Well, if you're reading a book and there's speeches in it, find the longest one because that's the one that's most important. Try that with the book of Acts, by the way, after you read Genesis, all right? That's next Sunday. But anyway, he makes this impassioned, beautiful speech and gives them basically the history of his family. And as he's pouring out his heart before Joseph, begging for the life of Benjamin, this is how he concludes his speech. Now, therefore... Please let your servant remain as a slave to my Lord in place of that boy. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? And here he's going to say the words that bring tears to the eyes of Joseph and to all the brothers. I fear to see the suffering that would come upon my father. This from a brother, from a son, who just months before hated his father. Compassion. Somewhere along the way, in his own story, as he faced his own family difficulties, somewhere in along the way, as they encountered Joseph, and they went through all this trial of, of arrests and, and losing, they're getting the money. You know, all these things. Somewhere along the way, Judah grew up. And suddenly he realized he could love a flawed father. That his father did not have to be perfect for him to be loved. It's a great realization when we come to the understanding that we are the only perfect people in our family. Now you laugh. That's not a bad realization. I mean, it's a wrong one too because you're as flawed and I'm as flawed as anyone else in the family. But if we at least can come to the understanding that nobody else in the family is perfect and accept that. And not necessarily approve of everything that goes on. Not necessarily not have those times when feelings are hurt and things are done that you wish hadn't happened. But to decide that because I'm imperfect and they're imperfect, we can still love each other. We can still show respect. We can act in helpful ways. And we can speak peaceably to one another. Judah's the one that threw open that door. Because immediately as soon as he said that, Joseph broke down and cried. He sent away all of his Egyptian guard. He grabbed them. He hugged them. He told them who they was. 
And it's interesting that in verse 15, it says he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, they sat around and talked. Now, if you've been reading the story, you know from the very beginning in verse 4, chapter 37, they couldn't speak to each other. And now they talk. Why? Because one brother said, you know, we've all got our problems. We've all made our mistakes. But we're still going to love each other. We're still going to be family. Now, the other person in this story that opens a door for reconciliation is Joseph himself. Now, at the beginning, it seems kind of strange. Joseph seems to be playing games and toying with his brothers. But I don't know if he was being guided by God, which Joseph does claim that many of the things that happened in this story were instigated by God himself. Or if it's that Joseph is just this wise to know that he can lead these things along and he's constantly probing to see because he certainly wants to know whether or not his brothers still resent his dad because he's got a good idea that Benjamin has taken his place as the favorite son and how are the brothers with that? And so when he finally hears that Judah speaking for all the brothers says, we have had enough. We've had enough of the hatred. We've had enough of all of these feelings that we are going to love our father. That he is able then to break down and embrace them. But toward the end of the story that we just read from the text, we hear that the brothers, while they enjoyed the peace of the family, while dad and everybody came to live there, they still were kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. They still were kind of afraid that all of this was being held together by dad. And once dad is gone, then the problems will start. And so when dad died, when Jacob died, they realized that now they stood at the mercy of Joseph. And they go before Joseph and they plead before him. And Joseph opens the next door to real peace in the family when he says, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I'm not the one to punish. I'm not the policeman of this family. I'm not the one that has to decide who gets punished and who is favored. That's not my role. I'm going to leave that to God. How many family conflicts keep going on and on and on Because someone decides that they're the ones that have to make sure that anyone that's done anything wrong has to be punished and has to be treated poorly because they've got to realize how flawed they are. Joseph opens the door when he says, I'm not going to be God. I can't stand in his place. I'm here for shalom. I'm here for peace. Let me repeat. No guarantees. Uh, Family dynamics are very complicated. These aren't magic little formulas that you go and just wave across the air and everything turns out good. But they are openings. They are ways that you can be faithful to God when you can decide on your own that what I can do is to love my family in spite of their flaws and hope that they'll love me in spite of mine. 
And when I can decide that I don't have to fix everything, and I don't have to be God in my family, I don't have to give retribution and punishment, that I can leave what retribution and punishment is needed and necessary to the supreme and all-wise judge of the universe. Now, we learn a lot by looking at the families of Genesis. We can take principles like that and use them well in our own families. But Genesis doesn't just speak to our earthly families. It speaks to our spiritual family as well. And we see mirrored in the actions of Judah and Joseph in this story of reconciliation what God himself did for us. God did not wait for you to straighten up to love you. While you were still a sinner, while I was still a sinner, he sent his son to die for us and to reclaim us, to let us know that he loves us. And even though he is in the place of God, he has chosen not to be the one to punish, but to offer mercy for all whose heart will open, for all who will accept it. So today we give two invitations. We're about to stand and sing. And one is that if your family is a family immersed or threatened or troubled by conflict, why don't you try something different? Be a Judah. Be a Joseph. And see if that works better. But the second invitation is to come to this all-wise father who even though you were the rebellious child has loved you and offers his mercy to you. As I said at the beginning, there are our leaders standing around the perimeters of this room. If you need to respond or you need help or you want prayers for yourself or your family, would you come as we stand and sing?